All right. Thank you so much for participating in these Go projects, for participating in the praying and the giving that we do through Global Impact. Uh, this has been a great time of celebration for what we do as a church through missions. So thank you for participating in this day. Uh, I know it's different, but it's been fun to, to have the different elements and uh, have some things we all participate in. We are going to be in Luke 10 today, uh, 25 through 37, looking at the Good Samaritan. So if I'm honest, uh, who is my neighbor is a really interesting question. And I, I, I think I get it. I get it as an, inter, and as an introvert and just as a generally selfish person. Uh, I ask that question a lot. What is the minimal amount of love and human interaction that I can get away with? <laughs> right? Um, that actually is, is one of the perks of uh, one of my favorite things about having kids is it's like a built-in excuse for everything. It's like, I would love to do that, but sorry, I got these kids. Um, and now that you've lost all respect for me, uh, let's pray and, uh, and then we'll get into the scripture. Yes, pray for me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Help us to um, look at this passage today. Help it to speak to us in new and fresh ways. Help it to challenge us and uh, help it to encourage us. God, help us to see the ways that you're working in us and through us and uh, to join you in your work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Luke 10, 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite who was going along passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, and gave him to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. All right, so the expert at first answers perfectly well. He answers the question that Jesus poses back to him. He says, Love God with your all, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if he could have lived with that ambiguity, and followed that, he would have been fine. He would have seen that love is the call, love of God, and that, that moves us to love our neighbor. But he couldn't live in that ambiguity. He had to nail it down. He had to justify himself, as the scripture says. So he wanted to ask and see, well, who is my neighbor? There's something more going on behind this question. He's not looking for, for just who he's supposed to love. He's looking for who's in and who's out. What kind of people do I have to love, and what kind of people am I okay ignoring? It's a question of religious obligation. He wants to know the minimum amount of love required. 
Does this love of neighbor extend to just those who are like me, or does it go beyond that? Who do I consider to be the other? The expert had position, he had status, and this came with respect. So he knew that he was okay based on his religious structure. He knew that he was in right standing. But the way Jesus poses his question back to him, do this and you'll live, you'll have eternal life. He knows that he has to justify himself, so he looks for a way to justify himself. That's me a lot of times. I can justify a lack of love in my life. It doesn't take much for me to say, that's going to get too messy. That's going to cost too much. That's going to take too much time. What he's really asking is how far should love reach? Who is worthy of my love and compassion? Are you ever guilty of trying to draw those lines? Do you have people who are worthy of love and people you can exclude from that love? So the priest and the Levite are characters that the expert of the law would have immediately connected with. He would have recognized this was him. He was the people in here, and he expected them to do the right thing, but that's not what Jesus tells them. They were unwilling to help with the need because of what it would cost them, and it wasn't their obligation. So if they could get away with it, if it didn't fit in their obligation, they were going to go. They were going to pass by. They were going to look away. They were unwilling to meet that need. They weren't willing to help if it meant they had to lower themselves from their position, from their status. If they had to hold on, they were fine. But if they had to let go of some of that, if it had to cost them, they weren't going to do that. Again, that's me most of the time. Um, If it's an easy way to help, I want to help. But if I know it's going to get messy, if I know it's going to take time, if I'm going to have to walk with this person for the long road, um, if I'm going to have to lay down some of myself, that gets tricky. What Jesus is saying here is not just about the individual characters in this story either. It's kind of an attack on the whole religious system. He's saying, look, these are the people who represent the religion. These are the people who know all the right answers, but they're not going to do the right thing. So he's asking this expert in the law to evaluate his own life, but he's also saying, and look at this system that you're a part of. It's missing the mark here. This is something that I need to hear. And I think that we as a church need to hear. If my life lacks compassion, I need to address that. I need to step back. I need to come before God. I need to repent. I need to ask to be given new eyes and new heart to see the need and to address the need. But if the religious system lacks compassion, we have to acknowledge that as well and move forward with the boundless love of Christ. Jesus is showing us that a religion that ignores the need, that turns away from the hurt, that justifies a lack of love and mercy, misses the point. Jesus is calling this expert away from his justification of who's in and who's out and calling him into the radical and limitless love of God. Matthew 5, 46 and 48 says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. You see, Christ in the story is moving us to a love that goes beyond reciprocity, a love that goes beyond merit. It's a love that models the humility of Christ, who even though he had everything he could have held on to, he let it go to come near to us. So then he gets to the Samaritan, the outsider, the unworthy, the despised. At the end of the story, when when the expert answers, he can't even say the Samaritan. He just says, the one who shows him mercy. Can you taste the bitterness in his mouth upon hearing this? 
he did not want this person to be there. This was someone who was on the outside. This was someone he did not have to show that compassionate love to. But Jesus is saying, not only are you called to love beyond those borders you've created, but the one who does that, even if they're beyond those borders, the one who shows compassion, if they put into practice the teaching of Christ, they are the neighbor. In the story, the one who he thought would be the outsider, who he did not want to show love to, is the neighbor. What good is knowing if you don't do it? Knowledge without practice is useless. So I'm not a, uh, a carpenter or a skilled craftsman by any means, but I do like to do some projects around the house. I, I love working with power tools and uh, making a mess and getting sawdust in my beard. It feels fun. And, and then I could look at something and say, I've created that. I've done it. Um, but I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not a craftsman. I, I don't really know what I'm doing. I kind of make it up as I go. Um, my dad, about a year and a half ago, got me this, this new drill set because um, my old drill ha- had been ruined. I'd ruined it because I, I don't use it every time because it's not part of my daily routine. So I left it plugged into the charger for weeks and weeks, and it killed the battery. Do you think that can happen to us? If we stay plugged in, but we're not doing what we're meant to do, are we going to just burn up? I worry about that. I worry about our volunteers here who are committed. We have volunteers that serve in the nursery, that prepare meals, that teach, that lead choir. Um, And we have volunteers that go out with Care Effect week after week. And I worry about them burning out by serving too much. But I could live with that. But I don't want to burn out because I've just sit on the charger for too long. I want to be used. Jesus is teaching this expert that knowledge alone is useless. It has to be lived out. Henry Nouwen uh, is, a, is a great Christian author, and he writes, Compassion asks us to go where it hurts, to enter into places of pain, to share in brokenness, fear, confusion, and anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those in tears, Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion in the condition of being human. See, the, the Samaritan's compassion here went beyond religious obligation. It was more than what was expected or required of him. He could have gotten away with going around the other side. There's a difference between obligation and love. And what the Samaritan does is not rooted in moral obligation, but in an active, selfless love. Our church practices compassion. We don't always get it right individually or as a whole, but we are called by Jesus to move with compassion. So we go into the city week after week to the hard places of our city, to the hard places of our world, because we want to be active in what God is doing in our city and in our world. We want to be a church that goes to the hurt and doesn't hide from it. John Perkins uh, is a Christian minister. He's 88 years old, and uh, he is a civil rights hero, a catalyst for urban missions, and uh, a champion for racial reconciliation. And he was at uh, the NOBTS chapel a few weeks ago, and I got to hear him. And he was telling a little bit about his conversion experience. And um, he said that because of his life circumstances, growing up poor and black in the South, he never considered that God could love him. And then once he had kids, one of his sons went to good news clubs and came home one day singing, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. 
Red, brown, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And hearing that from his son, hearing that someone had taught him that, that taken the time to teach him that song, to show him that he was valuable, that he was loved by God, that changed his heart. He finally considered, wow, this God loves even me. Hopefully that's clicked for us too. Even though we feel unworthy of God's love, God loves even us. So John Perkins never considered that he was worthy until his son sang those songs. Someone took the time to do that. That's what Global Impact Sunday is about. It's our commitment to pray, to give, and to go so that we can share the love, hope, and compassion of Jesus with a hurting world. So when you sing with a child, when you travel to Zimbabwe, when you serve a warm meal to a stranger, when you teach English to an immigrant, when you pack food for a hungry child, when you visit the prisoner, when you comfort the lonely, when you make eye contact, when you listen, when you do any kind act with the great love of Christ, you're showing that person that they matter, that they're precious, that they're deeply loved by a God who cho chose to come close to us and dwell among us. What the expert asked, his question, who is my neighbor? He's not looking for who, needs, who he needs to love, but who he can get away with not loving. He's looking to draw clear lines between who is worthy and who's unworthy, who's in and who's out, who's worth my time and who can be cast aside. The parable that Jesus tells here destroys that question. There's no premise left because loving your neighbor has no boundaries. Pray with me now. We're going to pray a prayer from Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann. You are the God who is simple, direct, clear, with us and for us. You have committed yourself to us. You have said yes to us in creation, yes to us in our birth, yes to us in our baptism, yes to us in our awakening this day. But we are of another kind, more accustomed to perhaps, maybe, we'll see, left in wonderment and ambiguity. We live our lives not back to your yes, but out of our endless perhaps. So we pray for your mercy this day, that we may live yes back to you. Yes with our time, yes with our money, yes with our strength, yes with our weakness, yes to our neighbor, yes and no longer perhaps. In the name of the enfleshed yes to us, even Jesus, who is our yes into your future, amen.